Okay. Um, so, yeah, the Lego does have a meaning. I'm going to try and so I'm going to try and speak about Lego, the number one point six one eight, biomimicry, um, spit, and lots of different things. And it's all going to make sense. Okay. <laughs> um, so just uh, to start off with, this series is following Jesus in all of life, and uh, we're going to look at our six practices, and we're thinking about the fact that the, our original design was to be like Jesus, and that's really important when we think about that original design was to be like Jesus as we look today, um, and so our, see our key practices, the six of them are prayer and worship, creativity, hospitality and generosity, compassion and justice, discipleship, and mission, and we're looking today at the second one, hence the Lego, um, and the paintings, um, creativity. So we, when we hear the word creativity, lots of us get a very narrow focus, and sometimes we even switch off. We think, well, this doesn't apply to me at all. Um, and actually, our recent survey that we did showed that 78% of people, when they think about creativity, think about art and music. And so if you don't see yourself as an artist or a musician, or if you only think of yourself as an artist or a musician, they want to widen your perspective on creativity and what that's all about. And we want to say to you today that everyone is creative, that we were designed by God, um, and that being creative is part of who we are. The other thing we want to say is that the church hasn't always been good about talking about that over time, and actually we have become very narrow in our focus. Uh, very often as people, we think that, that creativity has to do with, with being able to draw um, or paint. Um, and actually, then we have also in our society and in our education system is a bias towards being good at drawing and painting as well. Um, but when you go to the average three-year-old and you say, will you do me a painting? Are you any good at that? everybody will get stuck in. And in fact, kids don't need an excuse to go and paint or create something. But what is wrong then that if we were to say, right, who in this room wants to do a painting or who wants to be an artist? Put your hand up and we'd all be like, oh, not me, not me. I'm terrible at that. I'm rubbish at that. And children don't think that way. Sure they don't. They just paint. They just create. They, they do things. They make stuff with Play-Doh. They make a mess. And, and then they show it off. They say, look what I've done. And as parents, we go, what on earth is that? That's supposed to be me. <laughs> it, that doesn't look anything like me at all. Um, of course we don't. Because the joy is in creating. And the joy is in being creative. And we have narrowed our focus too much. Where we think it's about whether something is considered to be good. And who, who decides that it's good anyway? When my um, kids draw something for me, I decide whether it's good or not. And it's good not because it has an artistic quality in itself, but because of the person that made it and because they chose to make something. And so we celebrate that. And so what's really interesting, actually, is that, that more recently, coloring in has become popular again, OK? Some of you own books like this, don't you? <laughs> Little confession, right? I hate coloring in. I've always hated coloring in. The only thing I like about coloring in is not coloring in around the lines, coloring over the lines. I take great joy in coloring over the lines if I have to color in. And in fact, it's great because you know when, you're, when your children are quite small and they bring their homework home and they're too tired to do it and you as a parent have to do the coloring in for them. In my house, I do that. 
because Michael Hernan looks like one of the children did it. It's Debbie, like I see what Debbie's done, I'm like, that's not going to pass for a, a child's one because she can't help herself but colour in inside the lines. But it's a form of creativity, isn't it? And, and we've said, actually, um, in our society, people's mental health improves when they do stuff like that. For me, it's the opposite. Okay, stress and anxiety come over me when I see something like that. I think, I do not want any, to be anywhere near that. But again, creativity, we're, we're focusing on, on art and stuff like that. And, and when we did our survey, one of the other things that we found was that 70% um, of you believe you're a creative person. A lot of us are probably giving that answer because we know that that's the right answer. Um, uh, and 30% were honest and said, no. <laughs> I'm not a creative person. Uh, and, and you know what? I just think it'd be good for us to pause for a moment and just invite the Holy Spirit, invite God to speak to us about creativity because 100% um, of us need to believe that we are creative. Because if we're made in the image of God and God is the ultimate creator, if we're made in his image, then we are all made to be creative. We are all made creative beings. So let's stop and we'll pray for a moment. If, Father, we thank you that we are all made in your image, that we're all made to be creative because we're made to look like you. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come right now and just bring a revelation of where uh, that idea of creativity has been damaged by the words of others, where we have believed a lie at times, where we have restricted uh, you and how you move in our lives. Um, God, we just even repent of where the church has caused damage in people with regard to that too. And we speak your freedom this morning, God, that you would show us how each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made and how we're also made to be creative, to reflect you, to bring glory to your name. Amen. So, um, when we start uh, to look at God, what we do see is that God is creative the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And uh, again, in Psalm 104, it says, How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. And all these things reflect God as creator. And what we know is that we have millions of species, creatures on land and sea, millions of plants and trees. The diversity within each is staggering. That God is just is not a functional creator. God is not a functional creator. If he was a functional creator, he would only create one shade of green, and one shade of red, and one shade of blue. He is an extravagant creator. Diversity is everywhere. And unfortunately, what scientists tell us is that Millions of species are on the brink of extinction or, or threatened with extinction. We know, actually, scientists tell us that um, they can't discover species quickly enough because they're going extinct before they're even found. Uh, and that's sad. But God's creation is there, and we're called to be good stewards of it. Um, here's uh, something interesting that David, David Attenborough says. He says, uh, it seems to me that the natural world is the greatest source of excitement the greatest source of visual beauty, the greatest source of intellectual interest. It is the greatest source of so much in life that makes life worth living. 
And if we were to add on, although David Attenborough probably wouldn't, we would see that all of this points towards the creator of all those beautiful and wonderful things. And the created natural world that God has, has um, created is so amazing that what has happened more recently in science is that people uh, and scientists decide to copy it. Rather than invent things from scratch, when they're trying to come up with solutions to your problem, they go to creation and think, how can we sort that out? And um, that is called biomimicry. It's a great word, isn't it? Okay, biomimicry. Probably lots of you have never heard the word of biomimicry before, but it's the design inspiration from nature. Even, you know, uh, at a very simple level, when you think about airplanes and how they fly and how things glide, um, we've copied creation, we've copied nature. When they're looking at, at new textiles and new materials uh, and how things grip and, and different types of glues, they'll go to creation and nature and they go, oh, well, that works really well. We could copy that and use that. Um, and that is probably a more sustainable way to think about creating things. Um, does anybody know what the number 1.618 is all about? Don't be shy. Somebody knows. Right? Do you know, Chris Hanna? The golden ratio. The golden ratio, uh-huh. The golden ratio is 1.618. Okay? If you didn't know that, you do now. But why is this so important? Um, so uh, the golden ratio is 1 to 1.618. And what, um, so in this case, this is a good example. The distance between the fingertip and the elbow, uh, the distance between the wrist and the elbow equals the golden ratio. And um, the golden ratio is prevalent in every aspect of our universe. It's there in natural things, like uh, a seashell and the curves in the seashell. Uh, but we find it in architecture, in music, in art, Mozart and Beethoven, the design of um, the pyramids. We find that there are certain proportions that people consider to be beautiful and to be good, even in the proportions of the human face. We find these because they were put there by the creator. And so we find these proportions exist at a microscopic level, and these same proportions can be seen from space. When we look at cloud formations and, and tornadoes and things like that, that these proportions exist everywhere. And so um, when we see something as beautiful, very often it has these proportions. And these proportions are only here because the great creator decided to put them there in the first place. And so they're very important for things like architecture, for example, and, and, and sculptures and and the way things are put together. So um, let me just read this a little bit to you. The divine proportion is often represented by the golden spiral. Um, this is a tool used by artists and sculptors to achieve remarkable, uh, remarkably accurate proportion and aesthetic composition. In the golden spiral, the ratio of the length of the side of each square to the length of the side of the next smallest square is in golden ratio. The rectangles formed by the combination of the squares are golden rectangles. And at each quarter turn, the spiral gets wider by that factor, which is 1.618. Now, you may or may not understand that, and it doesn't really matter. But what does matter is that God has made things in a certain way that are beautiful, amazing, and wonderful, and that we actually... Um, 
as creative beings too, tend to copy the same things that God has made and consider them to be beautiful and wonderful. So what we need to understand as creative beings is that, oh, there's another wee picture of it that I forgot to show you, um, the golden ratio. So you find that in a, in a seashell. And there it is in an equation, which if you want to write that down so you can study it at home later, you can do. But we are created beings. We're made in the image of God. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And so we are told, told that we are to be fruitful, to multiply, and to govern, to go and express creativity in the world that is the Eden mandate. That's what we're called to do from the beginning of time. And God placed Adam and Eve in a garden, and he created that garden. And so it doesn't um, take a rocket scientist to figure out that if God created a garden and he said, go forth and multiply and be fruitful and rule over the entire earth, that what he created as good in the garden is the thing that he wants to be replicated throughout the whole earth, which is God's goodness and his perfection. And without sin, there would have been limitless potential and limitless opportunity for humanity to create beauty everywhere that they went. Unfortunately, with sin, things start to get messed up. But, it's a little quote from C.S. Lewis, he says, for he seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. He allows us to neglect what he would have us do or to fail. Perhaps we do not fully realize the problem, so to call it, of enabling finite free wills to coexist with omnipotence. Which is a fancy way of saying God could have done it better himself, but he wanted us to do it. Because he created us in his image, and, and we are his sons and daughters. And in the same way that when our kids create paintings, and you get them, and you go, I, I don't even know what this is. I told it's a brilliant thing to say to your kids. You know, rather than saying, what is this? You say, tell me about your painting. <laughs> because if you say, what is this? Then their answer is normally, what do you mean? What is this? It's obvious. <laughs> and they get really offended. <coughs> but God has given us the ability to go and create, and he wants us to do that, to be creative. The problem is that when sin came into the world, things got pretty messed up. And so um, probably one of the pinnacles of that within um, history was Babel, where man decided, let's build something to glorify ourselves, to lift ourselves up into a heavenly place, to declare that we are amazing and wonderful. And they could put their minds together, and they could create something. They create something quite big, something quite wonderful in their own eyes, but who knows whether it had the divine proportions or not. Um, I don't know. But um, it glorified man, and it didn't glorify God. And when things get corrupt, when creativity gets corrupt, people will use that gift, that, that ability for negative purposes. Um, says it like this in Romans 8, or sorry, Romans 1, 28. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things they should, that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, 
murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. And it is amazing just how creativity, when it gets into negative places, causes so much destruction that people invent new ways of sinning. That's taking creativity in completely the wrong direction. And what has happened with us in the church is that we don't take creativity that seriously either, and then we, we have no voice. The church has very little voice in uh, arts and music. Um, it doesn't have a way to speak into that. I mean, so we need to encourage people whose primary giftings are in, in arts and in music to go and be a voice in that place, to bring the creativity of heaven into those environments. But we're not all called to do that. We are all called to be creative. And so let's focus on every person in this room who's inherently made to be creative and recognize that if we're going to follow Jesus and be like Jesus, then creativity is going to be a key thing that's part of us. Um, Jesus painted no pictures that we know of. He built no buildings. He didn't write any songs specifically in his earthly ministry that we know of. But he was fundamentally creative in everything that he did. The way he told stories and parables, he used examples from nature and from the things that people knew around them. He engaged with people in their imaginations and he drew creativity out of them. And um, we all know the stories of Jesus and, and they stick in our minds and in our hearts and we, we love them and we can repeat them very easily because Jesus was a creative storyteller. Creativity was part of who he was. Somebody asked him a very simple question, what is the greatest commandment? And what did he say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so the person asks a second question, who is my neighbor? So Jesus doesn't go, well, your neighbor is technically you know, anybody. He tells a story. And what is the story that he tells? The Good Samaritan. Right? And the Good Samaritan is such a prevalent story within our culture that we have an organization that helps people that's called after it, the Samaritans. And we also have uh, a phrase within popular culture when you talk about somebody being a good Samaritan. And that's not by coincidence. That's because of creativity. That's because Jesus chose to communicate in creative ways. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, Jesus used the phrase, the kingdom of God is like... And then he said, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like a mustard seed that grows into a big tree. It's like yeast that's worked into dough. It's like a net that catches lots of fish. It's like seed sown on different ground. It's like a merchant searching for fine pearls. <sighs> now, it's not that Jesus couldn't make up his mind. It's that he wanted to engage with people in creative ways that they would understand story and narrative, that they would put themselves in that story or narrative, that those different stories would appeal to different people in different ways because they're all made differently so that they could understand. It was a form of creative storytelling. 
And he would basically draw these pictures uh, in people's minds so that they would retain them as well because he was in an, primarily an oral culture and storytelling was the main way to communicate messages and information. But not only that, when Jesus um, did miracles, he, he did them in a very creative way. And he did them, and you kind of think, well, why did he even do that? He, he turned water into wine. He didn't need to make any more wine, but what he wanted to show was, was his divinity, and he wanted to show lots of other thing, things. So he chose the metaphor of turning water into wine to communicate lots of things. He got money from the mouth of a fish. He probably could have got it from anywhere, but he chose to do it that way. He walked on water. He didn't need to show himself walking on water to, to explain that he was the son of God, and yet he did that anyway. He fed 5,000 people from one boy's lunch. He could have done that in any way, and um, he didn't have to use somebody's lunch. He didn't have to have 12 baskets left over, but yet there was a message to be communicated even in the 12 baskets. And so these things, these stories that we take for granted are fundamentally creative stories. They come from the creator and he communicates to us in creative ways. And nothing is boring and nothing is seeming when it comes to Jesus because he's just bubbling forth with creativity. Every single time he tells something to somebody, he probably told it in a slightly different way. And in fact, even the gospel writers have all slightly different stories. Because do you remember the, the time Jesus talked about it like this? Or he did that? Do you remember the time he... And, and even with communion, we break bread. I mean, you're, you're physically, you're holding that in your hands. You're drinking wine. These symbols engage our creativity. They help us to think in different ways. And so when Jesus healed, blind eyes were healed through touch, spit, mud, or unwords. Like, why didn't he just do it the same, time, the same way every time? Why? And, and he was communicating different things, sometimes in the way that he healed. But he was naturally creative. He didn't have to make mud. He didn't have to spit. Sometimes like, oh, but I take it if I was blind and, want, and was going to see. But he did this, communicate to us. Fundamentally, he is creative, but we are too. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works beforehand. And so the Greek word is that word, where we get um, literally that we are a piece of art, that we are a masterpiece, that we are God's work, that, that we are created beautifully and wonderfully, and we are created to reflect his glory. And um, in John 4, 23, 24, it says this. It's who you are and the way you live that counts before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship must do it out of the very their very being, their spirits, their true selves, their adoration. So if we want to worship God, if we want to declare his greatness and his goodness to the world, the ways in which we do that will be creative. They will be expressive. We will find different ways to express our worship to him. And so we have um, some paintings here that people have done uh, in church. And uh, this um, amazing piece of art, which is made from nails and string, okay, I can't even think about how you would actually start doing that. 
but it's amazing. And so we have ways of doing that, but we are called to be creative in, in lots of different ways. And some of us can make things with our hands, and some of us can write songs, and, and some of us um, can, can do different things. And we have creative minds that can come up with solutions to really complex problems because we were designed by God to do those sorts of things. Some of us can play Lego. Again, it's another confession, right? I don't like Lego. I never have. Um, I tolerate it. <laughs> when I start building, I tend to build things that look like this. Houses. If I have to build something with Lego, I will sit with the instructions and build it. And if I could, I would superglue each bit on as they put it together <laughs> so they can be taken apart again. But I'm going to tell you something really funny about Lego. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about Lego, actually. Um, but I'll do them in a few minutes' time. Otherwise, I'll be out of sequence of what I want to talk about. Um, but we have the spirit of the living God within us. And we're called to live by the spirit and follow the spirit's leading. And the spirit was there at creation. And the spirit is there with us and in us. And so who we are and how we express ourselves should be filled with creativity. And um, that means that wherever you are, you're bringing the creativity of heaven and creative thinking into environments that you're in. And so when it comes to the things like the business world, we should expect that Christians are there with creativity in their minds and thinking about different things and different solutions and how to sort out stuff. And... Um, I, I like, don't really think of myself as a particularly creative person, or certainly haven't historically, but quite often I would get prophetic words where people would say, I see you're really, you know, God says you're really creative. Or, or, and a number of times as well, do you, do you, people say to me, do you lead worship? Or do you do singing or music or something like that? And I'm like, no, no, but I've heard this one before. Keep going. Um, <laughs> because they see creativity over me. And so after a while, and after quite a few times of people giving me prophetic words about being creative, I started to kind of think, well, I'm not creative. In fact, the most creative thing that I could think about me at the time was the fact that I'm left-handed, right? And you see, left-handed people are supposed to be more creative because it's the right-hand side of the brain that has to do with creativity. Um, and that was like, that's, the, that's it, I'm left-handed and I don't have any. But I'm not a musician, I'm not a worship leader. I can hold a tune sometimes. But what I do love to do is to tell stories. I love to be creative in the way that I communicate. Um, I love to, to figure out um, the answer to problems. And I have this kind of wee thing that if somebody says no to me, like, can we do this? And, or can this be done? And the answer is no. I take that as a challenge. I think, great. I'm going to ask another person the same question, see if they say no, and then I'll find another person I'll ask them the same question in a slightly different way, because I, sometimes I know that there's, there's a different answer out there, and I'm going to find it. And so for me, to solve a problem in creative ways is, is one of the ways that God has um, designed me, that I won't just accept no as an answer. And so then when I do finally find the answer and somebody says, yes, you can actually do that, but you need to do this, this, and this, I'm looking that for the other creative thinker that sees the problem in a different way, that's willing to um, think um, about the problem and find a solution. 
but that's what I tend to do. So uh, I'll give you a wee quick example. It's really boring. But um, in our previous building, we were told that you couldn't control the heating system the way it was set up. And so I asked three different electricians, and they all said, no, you can't do that. And then I asked the fourth electrician, and I said, there must be a way of doing that. And he went, well, you could use this, and you could do that, and you could do this, and then it would work. And I went, I knew it. Like, I am not an electrician, but I knew that there had to be another way, that there has to be a creative solution. But the first three electricians just thought in a very linear way about the way that they did things. And the fourth one thought in a different way, came up with a better solution. Some of you might find that that's the way you're gifted and you're graced, but that's creativity that comes from God. It is the action of us with the Holy Spirit that brings about creative solutions. Um, because we have the mind of Christ, and this is really, really important. When it comes to who we are, when it comes to what we do, how we think, that we don't just have our own wisdom. In here, we have the mind of Christ. Um, in Romans 12, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have the ability to think differently, to think about solutions. And what we need in our world and in our society and in our culture is people that think differently. If you want an example, Today is a thousand days. What is it a thousand days since? Yeah, it's a thousand days since we had a functioning government today. We need people to think differently. We need people to think differently in politics. We need to vote differently, people. If you want the same thing, keep voting for it. If you want another thousand days of no government, then vote for it the next time you get an opportunity. But we need to be thinking differently. We need creative solutions to the problems that are in our world. And we need to think together. So let me get back to Lego, right? Um, Lego is now used in business to help businesses and organizations think through complex problems. And what they do is they get Lego and they use it as a medium and they build the problem or they build a possible solution or they build a prototype and different people, quite often from different departments within a business with different ideas and different perspectives come together, they use Lego as a medium to try and figure out how they're going to sort out the problem and then they actually have it mapped out, albeit in tiny little bits of plastic that when you stand on them hurt like they shouldn't, it isn't possible. Second only to standing on an upturned plug by the way, I think that's the number one. Um, but we, we get solutions to complex problems. We think in creative ways, and we use creative metaphors to get there. So when we did our joining together as membership, right, we got bricks, and we took a brick and we put it in a wall. And the reason why we did that is because there were bricks lying everywhere, and we wanted to tidy up. The reason why we did it is because we wanted to think, for people to think about, I'm going to be part of something. I'm joining in. I'm connected to a part of something else. Because again, it's creative thinking. And these metaphors, these things that we can gather together around help us to connect together. Let me give you a wee example from, uh, from our popular culture. Um, uh, Ed Sheeran right, is a great songwriter. Um, and he has lots of songs, and he has 
in, since the year 2000, two of his albums in the top 10 all-time best-selling. Uh, Adele has two as well. By the way, David Gray's in 10th place with White Ladder. It celebrates its 20th anniversary this year. Um, useless information. But um, when, there's a brilliant little documentary. You can go and Google this or whatever. On, uh, it's called uh, The Writing of the, of the Song Shape of You. And um, what they did was they got three or four different people in to a studio with Ed Sheeran. One of them was a guy called Johnny McDade, who is one of the musicians in Snow Patrol. He writes old songs with Ed Sheeran. And they got together and started to write this song. And so somebody had this initial beat. And then somebody said, well, we could put that beat with this. And, and Ed was like, well, I like such and such. And this will go together. And then um, getting back to Lego again, Johnny McDade brings out a suitcase full of Lego and he puts it on the floor and Ed Sheeran dives into the Lego and starts building something because he gets distracted too easily. So as he's playing with the Lego, he then comes up with the lyrics to the song because his mind is engaged in one way from a creativity perspective that enables him to be creative in another way along with other people who are also creative in different ways and together they produce the best-selling song of 2017. And it turns out that we weren't just designed to be creative on our own, that we were designed to be creative together, that God put us together with other people with different perspectives, that, that when we, we have teams and we put them together uh, uh, and people say different things and, and disagree, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because we have more creative solutions. And so you will find that most of, of the main patents that um, are, are registered are registered by groups. Most of the research papers that are written these days are written by groups. Most of the, the popular songs these days are written by groups. Because different perspectives and different opinions, when you bring them together in a creative mix, produce better results. And so we, as the church, as God's creative people, are designed to be part of family and community. We're designed to be part of a bigger thing so that our little bit of creativity that we bring, that idea and that thought that might seem disconnected, um, finds a connection with somebody else. And together we can be creative and we can express more fully who God has called us to be. That's what we're called to do. And so what we need to do today is to break the lie that we're not creative. You know, People say, I'm completely not creative. And then you'd say, listen, will you come and, and help me you know, fix something in my house? And, oh, I'm good at DIY, right? And that's not creative. You know? Or somebody say, you know, says they're not creative, and then the next week they bring in an amazing cake. You're like, well, how did you make that? You put all the ingredients together, and you, you put it in the oven, and, and you cook something. Like, there's creativity. We need to break the lie of the enemy over us, because the last thing... The last thing that Satan wants is that we would reflect the glory of God, that we would cre reflect the Creator. The devil does not want that. But if we can express creativity, if we can express beauty, if we can collaborate together and make good things and create a better world and think in creative ways, we will glorify and honor and worship God through our very lives. We will find our created purpose as people called to co-create with God. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. 
Let me just give you a little warning. I think, this is my personal opinion, that at times, television programs, computer games, and social media rob us of our imagination. And in fact, when kids play computer games all the time, do you know what that does? It creates imagination for them. When you read a book, it's just words. You have to think up the, the, the picture, the scenario. You have to use your mind. You have to visualize. You have to create. You have to work out the consequences of actions and stuff like that. Imagination is so important. Let's not fill it with so much other stuff that it doesn't have an opportunity to grow. Let's look at ways in which we can engage our creativity. So you go out for a walk, and as you're walking along, and your mind is renewed with what's around you and, and what's going on in nature, you then, you then start to think about other things. And they might not be connected with the fact that you're out there, but your mind is tuning in to the creativity of God out in nature, and so God speaks to you in a different way. You, you can't solve a problem. And so try, rather than trying to just work it out for yourself, you go and talk to somebody else. There's no point in going and talking to somebody else who thinks exactly like you. Go and talk to somebody who thinks completely differently to you. They may say something completely random that actually helps you um, to come up with a solution. Wouldn't it be great if we thought a bit more like children, that it was okay to paint and to sing and to dance and to do things that we're not particularly good at, but just because we're creative people? just because we can, just because we can bring glory and honor to God. If you do a painting tomorrow, and it is rubbish, but you do it as an act of worship to God, do you think God is going to look down from heaven and go, you're no artist? Or do you think he's going to accept that as an acceptable offering, as an act of worship to him, uh, and he's going to delight in his children? Of course he is. So let's acknowledge that we're creative people. Let's discover what creativity looks like. That can be your homework. What does creativity look like for me personally? Identify the ways in which you've maybe been damaged by the words of others who have told you that you are rubbish at something, that you can't do, that you're no good, that you just go and do this because you can't do that. Where have those words damaged you? Where have they stopped you from being a creative person? And ask the Holy Spirit to come and bring you freedom. Come and bring you freedom to express yourself and who you're called to be. And then start to explore and experiment. Try things out. Uh, and, and think about how you can be creative. Wherever God has placed you, you have the opportunity to be creative, whether it's in home, business, healthcare, education, fine arts, being creative with solutions at family, at home, whatever that looks like, the Holy Spirit can breathe life into that and bring change and transformation. And therefore, you can step more fully into your destiny, into what God's called you to do, and bring glory and honor to Him. And as you're doing that, you're going to find more fulfillment for yourself. So why don't the band come up quickly and we'll do one song. And so even if you can't sing, you, you're allowed to sing. Let's make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Why don't we stand and we'll pray as well.